Welcome back to Searching for Political Identity. Today is June 8th, 2022. My guest today is a wonderful young man named Cameron Arcand. He is a conservative. He's 19 years old. He is incredibly impressive. You're going to love this conversation. Before I let the tape roll, let me just ask you to like my show on Twitter, at Podcast SPI. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe to it wherever you listen. That kind of thing. Appreciate you, and uh, enjoy this conversation. Cameron, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So I'm looking at your website. First of all, how old are you? I'm 19. You're 19. So you are incredible. Let me just read a couple of quick it. Political commentator and journalism student at Arizona State. You write for the publication Red State, which you'll have to tell me about. I know it's very popular. I'm not that familiar with it, but I know the name. You raised in Southern California, discovered your passion for communication in grade school. You interviewed people like Doug Ducey, Scott Walker, Rick Santorum, Dave Rubin, Peggy Grant, Tim Tebow. You've been featured in all these magazines. You're really doing it. You're 19 years old. You've been on this, you know, everyone, let's see, CameronArcand.GoDaddySites.com, which you can get to right from your Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Let me, let me just do that because you're an interesting guy. People need to check you out. What is your Twitter handle, Cam? I hope you can hear me, by the way. Um, am I recording? I am. Okay, good. Awesome. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Your Twitter handle awesome. is what? So it's going to be at Cameron underscore Arcand. Right. And that's, yep. C-A-M-E-R-O-N underscore A-R-C-A-N-D. You got it. And then for the website, you can actually just put in my name at .com at the end and it'll bring you right there. I'll redirect to the GoDaddy site. Cool, Cameron Arcand. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. You're 19 years old. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get interested in conservative politics? You know, I guess yes. that's the question. Yeah, so I kind of have a weird story with it. So I was always kind of int- politically interested um, for a bit. And then in my when I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher who basically we had to do a passion project at the time. And we had to, and my project that I'd spend one day of class time each week working on was a political blog called youngnotstupid.com. And I did this throughout the course of the project. The work wasn't very good. The articles weren't, (laughs) uh, were not what they were. Um, There's a reason why the site, you you can't be quality work. Yeah. But basically um, I kept up the project all the way up to my junior, senior year of high school. And then 2019, I did a Young Not Stupid podcast, and that's kind of where I first started to get um, certain guests in different um, spheres. Um, a lot of people running for office in 2020 at the time, just like different. How did you like, snag these people? A lot of times, you have to be really good at email and social media, and you just got to say a little prayer that they're going to get back to you <laughs> because that's. So you that's would DM the, them, email them? Yeah, that sort of thing. And then typically, if it was a candidate or someone like that, you would be able to kind of find information on their website. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about it was um, 2020 kind of rolls around. Um, I did, before I went into politics, I did theater for four years in Southern California. kind of did like that. I was a drama kid in high school. You know, they say most journalists are either... They were either the failed theater kids or the failed debate kids. Um, That's interesting. I never I, heard I was, that. Yeah. So it's kind of an inside joke with that. But, you know, 2020 rolls around, um, kind of take a break from doing things in the, the acting world and um, just with school and just kind of outside stuff. Take a break from that. And then I decided to dive into campaign politics and field work um, for a bit. So first campaign I worked for, it was a primary race for Congress out in Orange County, California. Um, They lost the primary and then went to a incumbent state senator running for re-election. And then I stayed on with them up until right before the election. It was my senior year and it was COVID, so I didn't stick the whole thing through. But um, after that, I made the transition into going into media um, doing paid work for that. So I kind of put a pause on the site for a bit my senior year, um, worked with the high school. Yeah. Senior year of high school. Mm. And then started doing some freelance writing work 
worked for the Western Journal, which is another conservative publication for about a year and a half. Um, and then I moved over to Salem Media Group, which is what Red State is a part of back in January. And so you just networked, you reached out to these organizations and said, hey, I'd love to give you a sample of my writing and let me work for you. Yeah, well, what's really funny about it is when I applied for my first like paid writing gig at the Western Journal, they didn't realize they hired a minor <laughs> to do freelance to to do freelance work for them. And that boss now is one of my um, good friends, and he was telling me he was like, "Yeah, we didn't. I didn't realize you were seventeen, but I liked your writing, so um, I didn't even like pay That's attention to that." So, yeah. and then someone <laughs> in the Slack channel was like, "Do you know you hired a high schooler?" And so, hmm. yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. But young, not stupid. He knew. He knew. So, wow, that's incredible. So what what makes a theater kid who I would traditionally think of as a progressive or a liberal just by association, what makes a theater kid have conservative tendencies? What makes a theater kid go into conservative politics, especially from a young age? Yeah, so basically, I was never like full-blown conservative until maybe within like the last like couple of years or so my freshman year of high school um i actually did the march for our lives um when that whole thing happened i was very into kind of that was that the david um, hogg thing the, the yeah that guns? was yeah that yeah that was the david hogg thing right after parkland um i always was kind of more politically moderate on certain things kind of maybe more like very centrist for a while sure. had some liberal stances, some conservative stances. Right. Um, Sounds like me. Yeah. And one thing that did it for me was, um, I mean, part of it was just kind of seeing the changes that were happening in our own country. Gun control was actually the one that did it for me. Um, because I kind of realized after the March for our lives and I was really kind of reading into the different arguments for kind of each side on how to solve things with schools. Now I'm not super, I'm not super into or super extremely well-versed in kind of that issue, but it was the issue that made me start to think about things a little bit differently. Mm. And then culturally kind of after 2016 and then um, just kind of going throughout high school and just these different things, especially in the theater world, the environment tore people who had any dissenting opinions got so increasing, increasingly hostile where, um, you know, anyone who kind of viewed anything differently was seen as a very hateful person. And yeah, I, I lived mean. in, and I lived, I, I lived in Orange County. So it was kind of something where I was like, I wasn't even necessarily the most socially conservative person that you would know necessarily i'm still probably not the most socially conservative person someone would me but i think they're you know very fit even like certain fiscal conservative things where if you were to say anything positive about any like republican or trump or anything um, you're, a, you're like, going to you're in hell exactly so i i knew that i kind of got to a certain point where i was like i knew what the rumblings were about me um with um, with certain things politically. And I was so people like, thought you were a white supremacist, a gay hater, these kind of things. Yeah. Which is super weird for a kid who grew up Jewish. So, mm. um, are both your folks Jewish or just one? So, ju so just one, I, so I converted to Christianity later on. Um, but on your I own, still, uh, that was a, your decision type of thing. Yeah. Um, on my own accord. So it kind of happened on my own because how I old were you when you converted? This was actually fairly, this was about a year or two ago. So I was, huh. I was, yeah, but it was kind of something where, um, but I was very much raised in a house where, you know, you learn about anti-Semitism. I've experienced, I experienced anti-Semitism growing up. And then it's just like having all these things kind of hurled at you, all these insults and you're like, eh, that's not. No, I can well, relate. I'm, I'm a reformed Jew and I, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. weird. It's like, come on. I, I, I'm not saying whites are good or better. I'm not saying gays are bad. I'm saying maybe the fiscal conservative policies are good. Yeah, I think what, what what's really interesting is um, one thing that I love about working at Rudstein. I've been there. I've been with Salem Town Hall Me for about six months now, but I recently went over to Rudstein is 
we have such a diverse group of people that are working for us that all kind of go under the, you know, people can have their political disagreements kind of within the conservative like thought process. But, you know, you have people who are African-American, you have people who are Jewish, Christian, um, just Asian, all these Indian, different, I'm sure. Asian, Indian. And so it's like, you have all these different backgrounds and I grew up in a community that was also very diverse. So it's kind of something where, you know, I go to Arizona State and a lot of my friends are like, um, it, it's interesting to see like the other communities that people grew up in because um, when you grow up in a community that's so diverse, it might shape your political views, but it might not um, at mm. the end of the day. But what it does give you a better idea of is how do I be civil? How do I better communicate? Um, with people. And I'm used to being the, I went through high school being the elephant in the room. And so I had to very much be careful and communicate my ideas in a way that I knew would, they would maybe disagree with, but also yeah. how do I be respectful and how do we sure. build that bridge? Absolutely. Yeah. Too many people, and this is probably what inspired my, my little podcast here is, you know, we're not going to be singing Kumbaya. We're not delusional, but there does seem to be an opportunity for people like us to communicate and help people understand, hey, right doesn't mean racist. There are some racists in the group, sure. But it doesn't, like, let's get beyond the labels and let's break down this, uh, this wall that's been built up in pop culture, if you want to call it that, where, and that's why these Republicans talk about Democrats and totalitarianism, right? It just feels like they're stifling all the room dissent and that's a and that's part of the big problem right is i think we're struggling right now as a country to have our convictions because it's important for people to have convictions and have their values but also understand that there might be um room for nuance when we're talking about the other side too right and so i think there is a place to i think there definitely is a place to call out basically extremism on both sides and basically say hey that's an extreme point of view and i think there's a certain point mm -hmm. where you can label that but i think there's also you have to understand where people are coming from too and i think people get so right. focused on the labels and less focused on the why right what what mm -hmm. motivates absolutely like what motivates someone to become a socialist or what motivates someone to not believe that the 2020 election was legitimate and mm -hmm. it's like, right. I don't agree with either of those stances, but you need to figure out why they believe that because otherwise yeah. you're only, you're doing America a disservice exactly. if you don't want to get to the why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I'm so impressed with you. Uh, let's get into a few of the topics that we were going to talk about today. Let's start with how's Biden doing? Give me your take on Biden. Oh, geez. <laughs> he is... <laughs> setting himself up for a rough November right now. He's setting his party up for a rough November. And I think what we've been seeing throughout this presidency is the bar was on the ground for Biden. It really was. When 2020 right. rolled around, I mean, we had COVID going on. We had all these other things going on. People were tired. People were expecting Bill Clinton and they got Jimmy Carter. Mm. And they were expecting someone who was going to be right. more bipartisan than he behaves. And I mean, there are a few moments in there, but usually the actions and everything they did, it doesn't, doesn't match with that. And I think what's tough is, you know, you look at inflation, you look at the, um, just kind of, you know, you think about gas prices and all these different things. Now there are many factors that go into these sorts of things, but who right. takes the political brunt of it? The people who spent massive amounts of money, uh, who cleared that mm -hmm. spending and who did all these things. And I think something where I kind of, I kind of get frustrated about is the stimulus check issue that started with, um, we had that, that, that whole thing started under Trump and sure. we're still, I would love, I've been saying this for a long time. I would love to see a study done where we have families in different parts of the country. How much did they get in stimulus and how much 
did they pay in weekly expenses before compared to now and see and figure mm. out the difference. That's interesting. And the net effect. Yeah. And something I and something else I would kind of like to see too is, you know, if Republicans get this is kind of unrelated to the economic aspect of it, there are a lot of people who are still very frustrated over Afghanistan. If I can name mm-hmm. one thing that this administration I think truly lost any sort of hope for me to kind of like mm-hmm. build that out. It's Afghanistan. The 13 dead. Yeah. That, that totally lost me. Cause I don't know what the heck happened. We, we need more answers right. on it. Neither of us are military yeah. guys. I don't think, but it does seem odd what you hear in the news that, you know, basically why would you, why would you, if you're, <laughs> It seems like he ignored the military advice, which was to have a conditions-based withdrawal. And why set a date? Certain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the really tough part about it. And then you think about too, why wasn't there? Because he wanted to, and it seems like it seems like he wanted to celebrate the 20th anniversary of 9/11, having pulled out. And if that was your north star, that was some bad decision making. Yeah, we needed to focus on safety. Now I'm not even I I'm kind of one of those people where I'm like I don't I'm not even sure if the premise of leaving Afghanistan was a good idea but I think whether we right. had Trump or Biden in office I feel like the withdrawal would have happened anyways but right. what can, right. but it happened under Biden and I just can't get over how hard was it to secure the airport it might have been really right. difficult we don't know and that's something that we need to get more answers on. And I'm hoping that if we get Republicans and I don't think they'll, I don't, I think they'll probably be focusing on other issues, but I would love to see kind of the congressional aspect of, okay, can we get more answers on this? Um, and then, and then the bombing of that family. (laughs) And then exactly. And then I think too, I will say though, I think the department of defense has done a solid job at investigating certain things thus far. Um, but I, I would love to see more information. Like what? Um, there were certain reports about arm, um, where, where certain arms and different things went. They, they'll put out a report like every, every once in a while about certain details with Afghanistan. There was one of, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. But they, oh, they, just, they'll sometimes release information, but, um, you know, we'll get little, yep, it's like a drip thing. We'll get like drips of information from the people who um, kind of their beat is focusing on Middle East politics. Like, no, you'll find I think there was a report that came out in December 2021. I think it was from CNN that was like, oh, there are like X number of Americans still here that want to leave. And it's like, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not that informed about the whole thing, but I... You know, I know at one point Biden said, look, the administration said everyone who wanted to be out by this time is out. So I don't know if you can put some blame on the people who stayed. I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough call. But to kind of circle back to your point, I think um, Biden, Biden definitely obviously has a messaging problem right now. I think a lot of people in his cabinet are kind of also not getting a clue with kind of what people want with different things. I think of like... um, I think like Janet Yellen was saying that certain, like there was a report that came out that she criticized the spending plan and she's like, Oh, well, I didn't do that. Um, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of disconnect between the administration and the rest of America right now. Mm. So you would agree then that Biden seems to really be running from the uh, governing from the left, not the center, at least in his attitudes and, and Yeah. I would agree with that too. And if we could transition to guns and then we'll, then we'll jump to talk about Trump, but just talking about guns, I think Biden came out recently and said he'd like to reimpose the assault rifle bans. And I think the last ban was, was it 94, the assault rifle ban under, was it Clinton? That's, I think that's what you hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was under Clinton. That that sounds right. Now, did that get, I don't know if that got reversed because it was ruled unconstitutional or it just got rolled back. But all I know is now we have Biden saying he would like to see them banned. And I understand that. I, I'm not, I'm not really going to criticize him for, for, speak, for saying that. But 
isn't this wouldn't a centrist position and I'd like to get your opinion on this should we ban guns that can liquefy children and people and make them only recognizable by the sneakers they're wearing or should we just raise the age to 21 and try to do a little more holistic you know where where do you come down on this gun issue I would say that a lot of it is going to be we have I think the most frustrating part about all of this is I know the conversation is going to fizzle out soon I think that, sure. that isn't as it always does. It, it always fizzles fizzles out, despite the fact that you have Matthew McConaughey pointing, <laughs> making this pi- picture, which is funny. It's funny, but yeah. if we don't get distracted by the messenger, that was a pretty powerful message. Yeah. and I think something that's important, kind of understand this is, I think a lot of the, you know, California has mass shootings. Texas has mass shootings. California has more gun laws on the books than Texas does. And I think mm-hmm. when we consider these different things, I, I kind of have a hard time buying certain things with gun control, mostly because I feel like it's going to be a band-aid no matter what happens. Because I think to myself, okay, if we ban all these weapons, right, is that going to, what happens if that doesn't work? What happens if that just fuels a whole black market thing? What happened? Like the issue at the well, yeah, and you first have to figure out: hey, is it constitutional? Can you even do exactly. it? Exactly. And I think that's like the the tough part is I have a lot of questions about where that would kind of lead to because I am one of those people that does believe: okay, if you ban this, that, and the other thing, and that doesn't what's work, next? yeah, what's next? Yeah. And creep. And so I think. But I think one thing that needs to be done right now, though, is we see a common trend with the, with the suspects, right? Who are the people that are usually doing these sorts of things? It's usually people who are, you know, 18, 19, early 20s. You know, the guy who is armed going to Kavanaugh's place today. Um, mm-hmm. Man, early 20s. Regard the Buffalo shooter, you think about all of it. And I think there's a real issue. Like, I feel like, you know, we can argue all day about guns. And I think we could, we need to kind of have that conversation. But I'm also really can't stop thinking about, there are some really bored young men out there who are getting a lot of Mm -hmm. bad input with media, a lot of bad input with kind of what they do and not getting the the guidance media and or depths of the internet exactly corners exactly and so that's the kind of thing where maybe they're not being properly supported at home and these different issues and then they always have what always happens with these things is the school did nothing the school was like oh maybe you'll hear students be like oh well i saw the signs of this beforehand and it doesn't right yeah, no, I hear you. And, you know, obviously guns are not uh, the root cause. Uh, obviously guns are a tool. Obviously it's uh, people kill people. Guns are a tool used. That's obvious. Um, the question is, you know, I, I don't think it's unconstitutional to raise the age to 21. And if that would prevent, that would have prevented Uvalde, then, you know, I'm for it. On the other hand, you don't want to rule from emotion and you don't want to cherry pick. St- you know, you want to look, you know, if you were going to make laws, you would probably want to look at the data, not um, anecdotes, even as. But these are brutal <laughs> anecdotes. So h- how do you how do you square mm-hmm. that? So, yeah, I think uh, McConaughey, as funny as it is that it was him, you know, didn't call for bans. I think he did call for red flag laws, which. I won't even focus on at the moment, but just raising the age seemed reasonable. It doesn't seem like it would, uh, but but I understand the counter argument, which is any you can't let like Lauren Boebert said, who I don't have a ton of respect for, but you can't legislate away evil. I get it. Yeah, and I think that's the tough part is you can raise the age of twenty one, but you can't. You're not going to alter the state of mind of the the 18 to 21 year old. And I think there does need to be an investment into, I was talking with um, a friend of mine who we almost agree on nothing politically. And we were both like, Mm -hmm. okay, one thing that does need to be done though, is there needs to be more investment into getting more school counselors, more school resource officers, more Mm -hmm. people that can basically before a gun even graces that person's hand, Right. There needs or to be. Mind. Yeah, exactly. 
And there needs to be someone saying, I'm not saying, oh, we need to have all their rights stripped away or I'm not advocating for red flag laws. But what I'm basically saying is those people need to get the help that they need. Right. So that way they never Mm -hmm. even think about going to a gun store to do something malicious. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think we used to have we need to bring back certain mental health institute and bring back certain things in a way that is done ethically. Cause there's a reason why they shut down a lot of institutions was they right. weren't treating people ethically. And mm-hmm. I think the mindset toward mental health toward people who really need help. I'm confident. I think culturally has changed a lot. And I think that would be something that I think maybe it could probably be executed better at a state level of bringing back certain mental health resources for people who really need it too. And I also think something that needs to also be considered is for guys who, you know, haven't quite gotten to the depths and corners of the internet yet, but are still kind of needing some additional support in their lives. This is kind of outside of mass shootings. I do think there needs to be greater help for them, either education, military, what have you, mm. because I think there's a lot of young men who essentially feel like they've been forgotten right mm. now. And they, that's interesting, forgotten and or ignored, right, mm-hmm. or, yeah, unseen. And who knows what causes a person to go to a store and buy a weapon and text someone in Germany and say, look what I'm about to do. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But we, we know, we do know is that this person needed help. Oh, it's so sickening. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, we, we can certainly agree with that. You know what schools need to take a look at what they can do to, to preempt these kind of things. And you know, we don't, we can't put it all on their plate, but we got every, all the stakeholders have to do more. Parents have to do more. Hmm. It's crazy. Wow. So sad. So we don't want to do nothing on guns. So Democrats get accused of ruling from emotion. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, tragedies with black people getting killed by the police, murdered by the police in some cases, or, or gun violence, these horrific anecdotes come out and Democrats want to legislate. And Republicans often say, well, you can't legislate evil. So it becomes a question of how do you help people be good people, you know, not do horrific things. How do you, how do you get, a, get in front of that without being tyrannical? Yeah. Cause I also want to point this out. You mentioned being tyrannical. I think the issue is you think about there, there is a group of people who want to see um, police play a lesser role in communities. And that if you want to have that point of view, I think that's a you're entitled to that point of view. But here's where the issue with that point of view goes. If you want to essentially decrease the role of police, or if you think the police are tyrannical by nature, but then you want to get rid of um, private gun rights, pretty much, if you want to reduce the role of that, that group mm. of people that you see as oppressive will now the bound the scale will tip more in their favor and that is what do you mean exactly in terms of gun owners yeah in terms of gun owners to um in terms of the government right that's kind of the frame of mind that conservatives view gun rights from if you think of it like a scale like a you know like the old school scales yeah Justice. and and you know if you have right now conservatives want that scale to be more into the favor of citizens in terms of gun ownership realistically there needs to probably be um more of a balance right between the government and the people i think that that shows that there's probably healthy relations between the government and its people. Um, you know, people are still entitled to their gun rights, but they're not too concerned about the government mm-hmm. 
trespassing on their rights. That's social contract. That sounds right? good. You trust yeah. the government. And, but what's happening is if you take away the second amendment, if you take, or if you greatly decrease gun rights on citizens, now take the, now take that off the scale. Now it's totally on the side of the government. Mm-hmm. And who are the people with the firearms on the side of the government? It's the people that a lot of folks on the left view as oppressive. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's, that's the, that's kind that's of the internal flaw of that logic you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people, this is where a lot of people go wrong, but it's also kind of what a lot of people, that's, that's the thought process of a lot of conservatives is they think of it like the scales of justice. Yeah, that, and that balance. That's interesting because I've I've said I, I went shooting. Are you have you shot guns many times? I'm I grew up in California, so I'm not an I'm not an avid shooter, but I am. <laughs> I I know I've i I'm yeah not a not a well. Yeah. Have avid. you been shooting? <laughs> no, I haven't. Personally. Okay, you've never fired a gun. Nope. I didn't until a few weeks ago, uh, and I'm 32. And my girlfriend's father took me out. We shot a revolver, uh, shot 22 bullets, I guess, uh, caliber bullets. And then the next time we went out, um, we shot a, the same revolver in a Glock, which was 9 millimeters. Okay. Fun. Pretty fun. Yeah, it was cool. It's intense. And it was pretty cool. And um, it didn't really change my opinion on guns, but it was it was great, and I highly mm-hmm. suggest you um, you know, find a find a trustworthy friend one of these days and uh, get out there and do it. it was fun. He actually took me not to a range, but this guy uh, has a client who has a big property, and we just went out there. It was kind of cool. But um, what I've always thought about guns is I've always respected and had um, sympathy or empathy, whatever the right word would be, for the Ted Nugent view, which is that guns, I seem to think, conservatives think, owning a gun has some effect on your freedom of thought. When I have this gun in my hand, I'm a badass citizen who can't be controlled so easily, but when I don't have it, now I'm docile. Whether or not that's true or not, I, I buy that as a form of like expression and don't a lot of conservatives think like as long as I have my guns, that that really matters for how they think about freedom, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's more of a, you know, I just told you I'm not personally a gun owner, and but I understand the logic that a lot of I think a lot of gun owners have, and it's based on um, a lot of people kind of have that view. You think back to like. You know, Revolutionary War, the founding, that's what a lot of people will go back to. And Mm -hmm. we have such interesting foundings as a country where that's kind of where that goes to, pretty much. Where it's like, if I have my guns, I have my freedom. Now, I think that's so interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting, regardless of what someone thinks about it. It's definitely kind of like, the unique found the found people always say oh well why can't we be more like europe why can't we be more right. like Australia? america is different guys america is fundamentally it's got, unique, it's got a unique story if we don't we look like them like we don't look like any other country in the world so we will not our basis for things won't be like any other country in the world and I think that's important well for people to know is, you know, I always hear, why can't we be more like the Nordic countries or be more like that? The Nordic countries is a homogeneous population. And right. you're basing off people who, most of them, they all look like each other. They all, mm. they, it, it, the, there are very similar cultural commonalities among them. And a lot of people forget that. And mm. I think when we even factor it, but what's so interesting about the United States and its story is the fact that it, a lot of people are like, oh, well, the founders were, it was hundreds of years ago. So they, their, their opinion is invalid with all of it. There's a line to be drawn between what they were fighting for and kind of the thought process and the philosophies that went into that, we're still using that now. All of it is just kind of a play on what people hundreds of years ago were doing. Everyone builds off mm. of each other. If you think about the Enlightenment, a lot of those ideas 
factored into the founding of the United States. And it all kind of, it all builds on each other. So, you know, a lot of people say, ignore, throw it away at your own risk, throw it, throw it, throw it away at your own risk, because a lot of people say, oh, do you view the constitution as a living document or as an active, or as a document that shouldn't be touched? I, I usually, I'm of the persuasion that the first 10 amendments, the bill of rights, not a living document should not be touched. The other ones that have been added over time, taken away over time, I think those are like, obviously there are a lot of important constitutional amendments that were added over time. So I do think in that sense, yes, it is a living document. But those first 10 amendments are so important because if you take them away, you won't believe how crazy this country will get very, very quickly. And yeah. Well, that could be done, in my opinion. Look, there's a mechanism to do it, and if the country, Mm -hmm. if the if the if the adequate numbers, um, you know, come together and say we want to repeal the Second Amendment, then then there's no basis for arguing against it, really. Um, Other than, hey, I think it's a mistake. But if the if the if the if that hurdle is achieved, that 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 large threshold is crossed, that high threshold is crossed, then you know the the Constitution is a living document in the sense that. It can be amended. There's an internal amendment process, yeah. but the question is, how should it be interpreted? Um, should it be strictly interpreted as according to the ordinary meaning of the uh, people, as people would have understood the amendments as, at the time they were written, or should there be room for modern judges to look uh, through modern eyes and say, no, I think this is what that that means. So it's all about. Well, it's all very interesting. Yeah, guns. There's some connection in my mind between whether it's logical, reasonable or not, you know, I don't scoff at conservatives who say, I want my guns and I want to be prepared. You know, there are two types of people in this country right now. People who think that we should hold the 1776 values and ethos close to our hearts at all times and that it's actually relevant these days. We have a, that we have an impressive, sprawling federal government that's beyond the wildest dreams of our founders. And there's those who are saying, look, that's appropriate. This is evolution. This is how it happens. And, you know, we, you just got to go with the times. Um, I, I like to say, let's, let's, always, let's never abandon uh, the original founding principles. Let's always build off them and keep them close to our hearts just because it's our, it's our history. It's just mm-hmm. our history. Because so let's talk you're... about tr- – yeah, go ahead. Last oh, thought go on ahead. this. Yeah, but they- – and then we'll talk about Trump. Um, I'm just going to say, I think if we don't understand our founding principles, then we're, we're in a very dark place as a country. Mm. Ah, beautifully said. Well, that's, that's good. Okay. Trump, uh, do you think he's going to run again? You know. I, I have been saying no. And I'm prepared to finally be wrong about Trump. I, all my predictions prior, I never voted for him, but I've, I guess that he would win and I guess that he would lose. Um, and uh, I don't think he's going to run again. Do you? I Okay, I go back and forth with that so often. And I'll dive into it. I Because he likes to screw around with people. He really enjoys oh, Just a little. <laughs> yeah. Like, he loves to do that. So I think... Part of this, all this 2024 hype that he is trying to sow the seeds of in the media um, could amount to absolutely nothing. And I wouldn't be surprised if it did amount to absolutely nothing. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. he is Donald Trump. And, and, I, and the rules don't apply. Yeah, exactly. So if he decides to throw his hat in the ring again, I I wouldn't really bat an eye. I would not be that surprised unless it does i i think it will ultimately as much as he probably wouldn't like to admit it um it's going to depend on his age going to depend on his health and um his ability to actually execute the duties of being president Hmm. right so you don't think he would be afraid of losing again uh, you don't think he would be afraid to go up against any particular person who would challenge him in the primary? Who would challenge him, do you think? I think we're going to see – I think he'll run as an independent. I think we're going to see Adam Kinzinger. Really? 
I think we're going to see Adam Kinzinger, and it's going to be... Oh, you mean the challenger yeah, will run yeah, as an independent? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think Trump will run as an independent. Um, right. I think I think we're going to see... We're going to see some of the never, like, hard, hardcore, never... Like, that's their brand, never Trumper. Um, right. Run. Yeah. They're not... They're obviously not going to do well. Um, I think you're going you're gonna to see a few people kind of see if they can take a dig at him. They're not going to be successful at it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was also a question too of, um, if Biden doesn't run again, if, if it's, mm-hmm. tr- if Kamala Harris takes that slot, Trump could run again. I think he would want right. to run again at that point. I think he would love to go against Kamala Harris. Um, sure. But I think, I don't think any primary challengers would get more than, more than 10% and even that's generous. Um, mm. And I think they'll make, they'll embarrass themselves, but they'll get really great funding from Democrats and um, mm. other folks. So I think it will be, if someone wants to run against Trump, it's going to be more of a money and publicity thing. Interesting. Well, t- I mean, <laughs> political uh, campaigns are always interesting, but man, <sighs> This is going to be an interesting one in 24, not to get ahead of ourselves, but to, to think about who's going to run. Is Biden going to do it again? You know, all these things. I mean, Kamala hasn't impressed much of anyone, but I seem to get I, I have a little better feeling over her in the last month or two. I don't know why, but she maybe she's going to maybe we've been too hard on her. Maybe she will improve. Maybe she'll relax into her role a bit um, and maybe she will be able to garner wide support. From the left, but she's not that likable. She's really not that likable. Yeah, that's that's her biggest hurdle. Like we have to keep in mind the fact that she was one of the first people to drop out of the twenty twenty race, and right. one of the first big people to do that. And I think that's important to keep in mind is that um, she can do well then. I think it'll be a hard time thinking that she could do well now. But her best thing going for her is that some of her top potential challenge. I think Amer- um Secretary Pete Buttigieg. As someone that would probably mm-hmm. want to do that, you probably wouldn't pit um, a cabinet secretary against the vice president, right? Um, could happen. Crazier things have happened. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that would um, that would be the case. But um, I will say this, though. If Trump decides not to run, we're going to see a massive field on the right. Massive. It's going to be like mm. what 2020 had for Democrats. You're going to have a lot of people right. throw their hat in the ring. Well, 2016 was a pretty big, uh, pretty big. Group oh yeah. Before Trump knocked them all down. Yeah. That was like, that was like a fly situation. People were dropping like flies in that. That was insane, man. That, I mean, once Trump eviscerated Jeb Bush, it was over. I think, yeah, I think there was a lot of, um, hype for, um, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz toward the end. But I remember there was like a, there was a couple months where it was like, Oh, Marco Rubio is going to be like the, the guy to do it. And it's like that, that did not work out. Um, and then, and then, and then he tried to take a shot and then he tried to be a little Trump and Trump hit back at him. And it was like, Oh, Marco's a clown. Yeah. I think what, I, I think what's so interesting too is, Trump coming down that escalator, I realized it the other day, seven years ago. Mm. That was seven years ago. And um, you think mm. about how much the country has changed since then in that mm. in that time frame. And, mm. you know, you can really – you tra- if you want to trace so much stuff back to our current political climate, you can trace it to that one moment because it has was – Trump like, done good so, – but Trump's done good for our country then in, in the conservative view, surely. I, yes and no. I think there, he re, he activated a group of people that I think needed to be activated, but is not the most refined group. And I think that's what you get with populism is, Hmm. um, you, I think you get a lot of fantastic people that come out of the woodworks, get a lot of average people that, go out get engaged and vote in their community. Um, and then sometimes you don't, and it doesn't bring sometimes the most refined people. It's kind of a natural symptom of that. And Mm -hmm. I think what we're going to start seeing in the next 
few years or so is, especially as Trump gets older, or especially if he doesn't run again, is we're going to see what, at least what I would hope to see is kind of a more refined version of that, that movement amazing. where mm-hmm. they're really understanding the concerns of what average people are upset about while also not diving into maybe some of the, the darkest icon- corner. Yeah. The darkest corners really getting upset about like trivial things and being able to focus on um, the <laughs> issues at hand. And mm, I think that Trump is so fascinating. And I think something too is we have hun- we have hundreds of candidates across the country trying to be many Donald Trumps. There's only one Donald Trump. Right. And everyone else that's trying to be him is just trying to be a parody. That's what they are at the end of the day is that. And I think DeSantis comes close. DeSantis comes close. He's the only one. And I think exactly. And I think what's interesting with DeSantis is I don't really associate, associate the two together really in my head necessarily because what he did was he used his office to get certain things done. And the reason why DeSantis is so successful is he is seen as this perfect foil to the Biden administration. Because Trump hasn't been in office. He can't like directly counter certain things. And then DeSantis can essentially swoop in and be like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And we're going to count. Yeah, and he can this. even say, and he can even almost make the argument, "I'm, I'm better than Trump." I mean, you see some people say he's he's better than Trump. He's Trump even. He's a more refined, smarter, more controlled Trump. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that could be a huge asset to the GOP. Um, mm-hmm. And you see it with straw polls and different things that um, DeSantis does pretty well for himself. So I think um, he would have. You know, a lot can change in a couple of years, but given the state of things right now, I mean, everything changes once the campaign trail starts. But I think DeSantis could um, pretty easily um, get to the top of a potential 2024 Mm. field. Mm, Very interesting. I think, and I I wouldn't uh, write out Cruz either. Mm -hmm. Because he did so well in 2016 and he's ingratiated himself. Yeah, I would say, I think with Cruz, yeah, I I would tend to agree with that. I think there are going to be other, I think we're going to have DeSantis, if Trump doesn't run, I think DeSantis is going to lead the pack. And then you're going to see some others that I think will have a fight. Yeah, I think Cotton could do it. I think people like, I think I could picture Cotton being a VP pick, if I'm being honest with Mm. you. I think that'd be an interesting um VP pick for someone, but Why not the top of the ticket. I, I say, I say that because although he does have pretty high name ID, it's not quite high enough when you're running you against yeah, that, that's um, very DeSantis mm-hmm. and Cruz. I think if you ask people, say, which of these names sound familiar to you, um, Cruz, DeSantis, a lot of the others would come to mind. I wonder if either of those guys, Cruz or DeSantis, would. Uh... I mean, I don't even know why I'm wondering this, but I wonder if they would uh, want to put a conservative woman. Uh, I would. I wonder if they would want to pair. Yeah, who knows? They I don't. Think, they don't decide things like the Democrats. They don't go on gender identity politics. Yeah, it's a. It's a different. It's a different ball game on the right. So it you is. Know, it's well, about the ideas, and you know, I, not that the left isn't, but the left today on the cultural side, as we wrap up our interview, sir, is. You know, they tend to look at the anecdotes, like I said, they tend to to use the emotion, and that's not bad, but it cannot be the only lens through which you look at public policy. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to, we're going to see, we're already seeing some of the pitfalls of that right now. And I think, um, I, I honestly think a lot of this kind of cultural, can you hear me? Yeah. I think, I think... Yeah, I think I I have about two minutes left, but um, I think we're about to come to a certain breaking point with it, at least I hope. Um, But I think right now is it's a matter of authenticity, meaning 
okay, is your story, is all these things that you're saying based on identity, whatever, authentic? Because I think a lot of people are kind of getting tired of this um, idea of I have to use all these words, I have to use all the right language, I have to say all the right things, and and if I don't, I'm going to get canceled, right? And I think it's coming, I it could get a lot worse, though. It could get a lot worse. And that makes me a little nervous, is I think we lost the line of what ex- what's acceptable to say and what isn't mm. acceptable to say, because there's yeah, no definitely moved. one. Yeah. yeah, because then we have an issue of, okay, the line is so discombobulated that some people can say some really awful things, some really hateful things. Mm-hmm. And on both sides. Because, yeah, exactly. Because the bar is just completely out the window. And I think we, we just completely lost the idea of what's okay to say to people and what isn't. And I think it probably depends on each person's individual social circle. Um, but maybe we'll see some changes with that soon, but the change starts with each individual person just being normal (laughs) and respectful. Yeah, exactly. Like, can we, we just need to start with like the basics of like, don't be intentionally offensive. Like, right. Don't like, don't do all the, don't do X, Y, and don't make an assumption based on someone's identity. Like, like there are, there's like, we need to just get back to, back to basics with this. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm so impressed with you for a million reasons, but one of them is how at 19, you you know, you somehow have this long view, and I'm look, I'm 32, and I agree that the line has shifted since I was your age, and uh, I'm just so impressed with you that you can sense that, and with all the other work you're doing, I highly encourage people to check out your Twitter, check out your website. You're really doing amazing work and you're, you got a very, very bright future. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining me, Cam. And uh, I look forward to being in touch. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Absolutely. Have a great day.